T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. William Daly has been a lot more than the son of one legendary Chicago mayor and the brother of another. He's been a U.S. Secretary of Commerce, a top banking official, and he was President Barack Obama's second White House Chief of Staff, following Rahm Emanuel, who had the job. Now he wants to follow Emanuel into that big office on the fifth floor at City Hall, and he's with us this weekend. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend is indeed Bill Daly, who, whether by virtue of name recognition or resume or campaign fund, would have to be included in any list of leading candidates for mayor of Chicago, even in a crowded field. But this field is very crowded with credible and recognizable candidates. So this is a race that's still hard to predict, even for an experienced candidate like Mr. Daly. Uh, The youngest child of the late Mayor Richard J. Daly and the brother of the even longer serving Richard M. Daly, William Daly is a lawyer and a banker. He served as Commerce Secretary in the administration of President Bill Clinton. He quit that job to head Al Gore's presidential campaign and that protracted vote-counting battle in Florida. Uh, He served as President Obama's Chief of Staff for two years, and he has toyed with running for governor and even mayor prior to this. But this campaign is serious. It also looks like it's going to be very expensive. Bill Daly, welcome back. Thanks very much for having me, Craig. Um, I preface my first question by acknowledging that almost any opinion polls uh, that we uh, look at these days uh, have a bit of a bias since they're usually for particular candidates. Right. Um, uh, but the one for the Chicago Federation of Labor puts Tony Preckwinkle and Susanna Mendoza in a runoff with you, a distant third, just ahead of the rest of the pack, all in single digits. Should we believe that or what should we believe at this stage of the campaign? Look, I think this campaign is obviously very fluid. Uh, I think the people of Chicago have not begun to focus. We just got through a major campaign in November where two of the people who are running in the mayor's race ran in that one. So there's been a lot of, uh, I think, overload for the voters. But we're, we will come out of this holiday season with eight weeks to go to the first election. There are anywhere from 12 to 15, 18 people that may be on the ballot. So I think the people of Chicago will begin to truly focus uh, on the candidates and on the problems of the city. But it does raise the issue of how any candidate can break out of a crowd like this mm-hmm. and get ahead. Well, I, I think it's a challenge, obviously, uh, for each one of us. Uh, only the two will go on to a runoff. So the percent needed to get to the runoff will be rather uh, slim, small compared to uh, previous elections, obviously, or for those who look at a primary system. So I, I think it's, um, it's a challenge, but I'm up to it, and I feel good about our campaign, the volunteers we have, the people we've reached out to, obviously, as you mentioned it, the contributions we've gotten, which are an important piece of not only being able to use in a campaign, but indicates uh, a broad support of people that, that are putting their money uh, where, where in their, behind their beliefs that I can lead this city and make a difference in the city, and I appreciate that. I, I know you uh, hear and probably you're getting tired of hearing quote, questions about whether voters will have uh, so-called daily fatigue, right. uh, but what are you hearing from everyday people about 
quote, another daily. Uh, I mean, how hard a line do you have to draw between you and your big brother? It's, I don't think it's, it's about that. I, I hear the question often, not only from people in your industry, but the average Chicagoan will say, how are you different? than Those who uh, are positive on my brother will ask, you know, are you going to go a different route? And those who may be negative will say, how are you different? Uh, the reality is, uh, as everyone knows, each individual is different. Uh, if you come from a big family, you know uh, family members are all different. They have different characteristics, different careers. My brother and my father were career politicians. Uh, that's what they did. They never were outside the, the world of politics. Uh, I spent my life mostly in, uh, not in politics, not in government. I've not been a career politician or a career public service. I've served, as you mentioned, uh, with two presidents, and I'm proud of that. But the vast majority of my career has been in the private sector, and I think that adds a little something to the ability to run a global city that is a $10 billion enterprise uh, that's in difficult situation right now. So I feel good about that. I'm, I hit a talk about it straight on. I do differ with my brother in many ways. We're different people. Times are different. The last time he ran was 12 years ago. City's very different. Um, and so I'm proud of him. I'm, you know, we're very close, but uh, we're, we're, all, we're all different. Uh, as we all know, every family's different. Um, on Thursday, Paul Vallis came to City Hall and uh, and basically try to tie you as close as it's possible to uh, to your uh, brother Rich. Uh, he says you were involved in many of the financial decisions during your brother's administration, decisions that left the city in trouble. And he and the, the quote here is he's been his brother's closest advisor for decades. So who are we trying to kid? Obviously, he's uh, trying to blame you partly for the uh, the parking meter uh, scandal among other things. <laughs> well. If it wasn't sad, so sad, it'd be laughable. First of all, Paul worked for my brother for 10 years, and I never heard him complain about uh, whatever the tenure was and whatever he did during those periods. Uh, solicited his advice and support this year for his run for mayor. So I, I get the politics of that. The fact of the matter, matter is, as you stated, I've had a rather uh, different career and have had jobs that doesn't lend one to be able to spend its day. I didn't hang around City Hall. There was none of that. Lend, their, lend yourself to spend your days worrying about politics. Yes, I was a pl- political advisor, my brother and his campaigns early on, and I was proud of that. But I, uh, this idea that somehow I was involved in City Hall is just uh, ridiculous. But you, that's okay. You that's didn't politics. give him advice on his financial? No, no. I, well, I, it was not my role. I gave him advice around campaigns, but I wasn't involved in city hall government or what the finances were or those sort of things. Paul Vallis was his revenue director, so I assume he gave him advice as a revenue director for many years. Uh, and I'm sure it was good advice in Paul's opinion, and Rich probably followed it. So if anybody had a greater impact on the finances, probably would come from the revenue director and not from some outside brother or political advisor. Um, speaking of finances, <clears throat> overall, do you think how much of this campaign do you think is going to revolve around money, about about which candidate has the finances to get his or her uh, message out? I, I think it's going to revolve as much or probably more so around the finances of the city itself. Uh, we've got some long-term, really serious economic uh, hurdles to get over going forward. So I think that's where the campaign, as far as the real issues are concerned, the money in campaigns, it's a fact of life. These are expensive endeavors. 
Uh, no one can compete with the sort of funds that Rahm Emanuel raised twice. Um, and we've put together a good campaign budget, and I think we're on path to hopefully meet our expectations. Uh, it's a it's an honest part of the game, and you got to understand that. It's also not only it it is also an indication of who really supports people and why they're supporting them. And I know people are cynical about money and politics, but behind those who give, generally. Uh, so there are some people who give because they want to be in or they want to have some influence. That's one group. There's other people who give because they're supportive and have no connection with city hall or whatever, but they just believe the city's important to them, either to their business, to their employees, uh, to the future of their business. And I, I appreciate there's many of those people's support. Um, I want to talk to you about something that's important to you, and that is what Chicago needs or wants out of Springfield. Mm-hmm. You've got a new governor, uh, and it will be complete Democratic control of the uh, Illinois legislature, and frankly, complete control of, uh, of government in Springfield. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your wish list? What do you take down to Springfield? And do you take it personally down to Springfield? Well, as a candidate, it probably is hard to take it down there, well, quite I mean, frankly. I yeah, mean, I know. If okay. you were oh, if I win? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, even yeah. though there's a short time between uh, the swearing in of a new mayor and the end of the legislative session, if they stay on the normal path. Mm. Uh, I would hope uh, with a new governor and the excitement of uh, Democratic control, the last four years have been kind of a waste in many ways. Uh, everyone pointing the finger at each other, but nothing getting done. And we have some serious problems, whether it's the crime issue, and we went through an entire campaign with no one really talking about crime. Uh, I would hope that in Springfield they deal with some of the gun laws, background checks, um, uh, some legislation around the gun shops, uh, assault ban weapons, uh, assault weapon bans, pardon me. So I I would hope that there's a serious look at what are we going to do about some of this violence in our in our communities, and especially in Chicago, on the education front. Um, once again, even though the funding bill, fair, fair funding, and I was proud of the fact that Advance Illinois, of which I co-chaired originally with Jim Thompson, or Jim Edgar, played a big role in that legislative fight, and then a change, Andy Menard from Springfield was the primary driver of that. So, so there's issues there, long-term economic viability, uh, the city getting a greater share of the funds from Springfield, which were cut over the last couple of years. We've got to get back to the level we used to get. Um, and there's, so there's a whole host of issues that the city's got to be concerned about that I think the new governor and the legislature, Democrats will have no one to blame anymore. And I would hope that they do it a little differently. Generally, the legislature starts in January. They're in for a day or two. They take time off. And then everybody waits to the end of May to do a deal and primarily just around the budget. We have some serious issues in this state and in this city that the legislature's got to deal with. And I would hope that they maybe up their game as far as the amount of time they spend there. The other thing I would hope they would do, and I'm going to, I believe strongly in this. I think the legislature should act to change the name of the Dan Ryan expressway to the Barack Obama expressway. We have, Three other expressways, we have the Kennedy, named after President Kennedy, Eisenhower after President Eisenhower, Stevenson after a world leader, UN ambassador, ran for president twice. Dan Ryan was the president of the county board. I I get that, and he has a forest reserve named after him. Barack Obama is the first president from Chicago, first African-American president in the history of our country, 
someone who spent a large chunk of his and obviously Michelle's life on the south side of Chicago. And I think the legislature ought to take that up quickly. And the, the more we see uh, the politics of today, divisiveness and the, the negativity and the lack of character, President Obama stands out from the pack, he and his wife. Um, and I think it's time, I know the legislature designated some part of one of the highways 60 or 70 miles uh, more towards downstate. But this is the heart of Chicago, the heart of the South Side. It should be named after President Obama. And I would hope the legislature would move quickly and do that. Well, as, uh, as uh, the Chicago City Council proved when they uh, tried to name something for uh, um, Ida B. Wells, uh, naming things can be a really big deal for, uh, for, for politicians. Um, well, this, is, whether- uh, this should be a no-brainer. I mean, he was president of the United States. He's spent his professional career in Chicago. His wife grew up in Chicago. His whole uh, life here in Chicago was on the south side. And, you know, as I said, President Kennedy was honored with the Kennedy Expressway named Eisenhower Stevenson for his international. And, and this is ridiculous. I, no disrespect to Dan Ryan, but there's a big difference between a president of a county board and president of the United States of America. I want to uh, ask about one, two of the things that you mentioned, the, uh, the guns, assault weapons ban, mm-hmm. and, and the whole package. And even the issue of local share for uh, Chicago uh, of the state tax revenues. Geography sometimes divides the Illinois legislature even more than it does uh, than does politics or, or at least party politics. Um, it's the whole world against Chicago. How do you get things like that through a, a legislature that has to deal with? Well, the Chicago state? has a rather substantial in Chicago region, number of legislators. Chicago is the economic engine of the state. It drives the economy. We send a lot more money to Springfield than we get back. And without Chicago, uh, this state is, I mean, it may be in tough shape right now, but believe me, it would be in dire straits um, if it was not for Chicago's vitality and the economic boom it brings to the state and to the region. Go out to the suburban and exurban area, um, you know, Chicago is, is the anchor of which uh, all of this, uh, success around the greater Chicago area, uh, is dependent upon whether it's the airport, whether it's the downtown businesses, the new businesses being brought in. We are in this together. I I'm sure I'm going to be a mayor that's going to reach out to the suburban mayors, to the regional mayors around Chicago, because we are in this together. And I think there has, we, we have got to look at is- issues regionally much more so than we have in the past because we are in this together. And uh, whether it's the education issues, whether it's the congestion, traffic issues, uh, a whole bunch of issues go beyond the borders of Chicago. And I want to work with the mayors of the suburban areas uh, to try to make sure that we're in this together. Uh, Lately, uh, Chicago, when it has been getting new businesses, a number of them have been moving from Mm -hmm. Chicago's Mm -hmm. suburbs. Uh, does that stop with you or is, is everything fair game? Because um, No, but I think, look, yeah. at, uh, there's great competition not only between the city and suburbs, between the states, nations, and around the world. I mean, the, the competition is global. And one of the things I want to do is kind of pick up on where uh, Mayor Emanuel did. 
in reaching out to companies around the country and around the world. Um, I had the honor of being commerce secretary and traveling the world. I spent a lot of time and a lot of relationships in, in, in the United States business community that I would hope to bring to um, Chicago. I don't. I think we've got to be sensitive to our colleagues and uh, mayors uh, in in parts of suburban. But the reality is, the young people, which are driving so much of this, want to be in an urban setting. The young ones that they need, especially in innovative tech companies. And there are very few industries today that aren't driven by technology and young people who are bringing dynamism and they want that urban life. They want that dynamism. So a lot of companies would look at coming into Chicago, whether in the suburbs or other parts of the, the um, a country based upon all the positives we have in the city with the schools, with the young people, with the vitality. But I don't think it ought to be a us versus them by any stretch. I think we've got to look to be more collaborative with the mayors and with the uh, cities and towns around Chicago. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is William Daly, candidate for mayor of Chicago. I uh, want to touch on politics a little bit more. Uh, you didn't challenge any of the other candidates, but Jerry Joyce, who was part of another political family that was once friendly to the Dalys, uh, challenged you. Did you, um, were you troubled by that? No, I knew that, that it was a meaningless challenge, to be frank with you, and motivations of it, I have no idea. I made the decision not to challenge anyone. Um, and I also proposed that we lower the number of signatures needed and uh, get rid of the prohibition against people signing multiple um, petitions because people come into the, came into this race at different points. And I don't think the voters should have that held against them. And it is only the petition process is only to get someone on the ballot is not to say who you're voting for. It's just to say this person should have a right to get on the ballot. So I, I, it didn't bother me because I knew it was meaningless. Um, you've uh, called for debates. You were the, uh, the first candidate to openly uh, call for debates, but uh, others have, uh, have joined in that call since mm-hmm. then. Uh, but you aren't specific about how many debates you want to see and how they should be handled, yeah. especially with a big crowd like this. Well, I called on the um, TV stations, to be frank with you, and I would hope that the radio stations will simulcast these. They have a number of debates. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's three or four or two or six. I, you know, that's something for... But I think there ought to be an attempt to give the possibility for the widest audience to follow and see and listen. Now, the Republicans did 15 candidates in their debates for a very long time. So the numbers can be made to work. Obviously, Donald Trump came through that process. And um, so I, I think it can be done. But I I know there's lots of forums. Everybody wants to have forums. But I think the the majority of people should have the chance if television uh, will step up to the plate and give a forum for debates, they can work out how they work. The ca- different candidates and campaigns can engage with some process. But I would hope that the TV stations and, quite frankly, the radio stations would join together, come up with some ideas, um, and, and and let's get this uh, let's get this going. As opposed to, you know, you you have a bunch of different forums, all due respect to them, all over the place, but. My desire is to have the largest potential opportunity for citizens of Chicago to see all the candidates and make a judgment. And one of the, they'll be judging you all on your ideas for moving the city mm-hmm. forward. Obviously, as you pointed out, money is going to be city 
money, city finance is going to be one mm-hmm. of the biggest issues. What is your take on Mayor Emanuel's plan for uh, for relieving the pension debt? Uh, because that's something that he's going to leave behind for whoever succeeds him. Uh, is a big bond issue uh, like he's proposing a way to go? Look at I, I think one of the first of all. Yeah, you're right. The 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 problem, long term economic problems, been there for a long to- time because of the pensions, and no mayors solved it. Um, and it's gotten bigger. Um, the constitutional amendment change that he recommended is one idea. I don't think there's any way you can really realistically think you can solve this unless we do change the constitution. Because he did attempt a couple of times with union cooperation to make some changes, and all those changes. Um, we're shot down by the courts. So we're living in a box that I think uh, that we've got to change. It's, you're talking to 50,000 retirees in the city, 50,000 current employees. That's less than 5% of the population that I think uh, ends up with about a $28 billion anchor around the city's long-term finances. And so for less than 5% of the population, we have an enormous problem. And what's what's preventing people from sitting down and really negotiating some changes. And it should not be. Some people believe it ought to be all on the backs of the pensioners or others believe just raise revenue, everything from property taxes to marijuana and casinos and everything else. And I'm all for putting everything on the table along with serious reforms that only probably can result after the constitution is changed to allow people to, to realistically look at this situation and make some changes. So anyone who says they can do it without that change is really kind of kidding themselves. Um, when you have talked about taxes over the last uh, couple of months, uh, you have, uh, not taxes, um, revenue. You've mentioned marijuana, casinos, commuter taxes, real estate transfer taxes. What about something that keeps coming up in the city council, which is a financial transaction tax on things like stock trades? and It's not realistic. You're not going to have it. If you if People talk about that. Take the Chicago Mercantile Exchange where so much trading is done. They'll just move their computer somewhere else, and there's no nothing to tax here. So, you know, that sounds good. People say, oh, to raise $3 billion, it's not going to happen. And I don't think people should just you know, run to that as the answer when they even know realistically it's not a possibility. The other ideas that you threw out and I've thrown out are realistic possibilities. That tax is not a realistic possibility. And I think it's time we make no more excuses. We be straight with people. One of my opponents says they're going to reopen the 50 schools that round closed. That's just not feasible. It's not realistic. We should stop trying to fool people um, in this process, everyone's an adult. Let's, let's try to have an adult conversation about the future of our city. Um, speaking of schools, uh, several candidates want a fully elected school board. You don't. What mm-hmm. is, Look, why not? Sure. I understand, um, the desire for an elected school board. My, my position is different in that. Number one, I do believe the mayor must have skin in the game. He cannot be in a position to say, I really don't have anything to do with that. Don't bother me. The future of this city does depend on our young people and our education system. So I don't believe the mayor should be allowed to walk away from that. Okay. And he, he can't walk away from that if he's appointing people to the board. I don't think there's great evidence that elected school board causes or creates a better education system for the kids. And this should be about the kids, not about some other debate. 
this should be about the kids. What's the best for the kids? And I don't think there's proof that the elected school board in and of itself. Second issue around this that I feel sensitivity to is if you go to an elected school board, non-citizens can't participate in that. Meaning that so many of the parents in this uh, city who have kids in the school system and have an interest, obviously, in that, will not be able to participate in that. So what I proposed was that we we go to the uh, local school councils, have them tee up through a process, three people to the mayor who must be put on the board. The mayor would have four appointments. There's seven appointments, and you need five votes. So you must have compromise to get this thing moving, the school system. Um, the other thing is, you know, the money in politics. Do we really need seven more politicians running around the city raising money either from the union or from uh, pe- people on the other side of the debate. You know, I think there's enough politics, enough money running around here. Let's focus on the school kids. Uh, and that should be everyone's focus, not whether or not we can create a few more political jobs and raise money uh, for candidates running for an elected school board. I, I think that's a mistake. Um, I want to touch on with the few minutes we have left. One of the uh, headline issues of the year uh, I mean, with the uh, city and the city council facing so many fiscal challenges, uh, should Alderman Edward Burke, who is right now under yeah. uh, an apparent FBI investigation, remain head of the city council's finance committee? You know, I, re- I suggested about two months ago that Alderman Burke should not be running for election. He shouldn't be reelected. Um, he's been there 50 years. That's enough. Um, you know, he's... he's um, He's been there longer than probably anybody in the history of any city in America as far as a member of a city council. I, time, I think it's time to move on. Uh, and I also believe much of what people have talked about in the workman's comp thing should be taken out of the finance committee and put in the executive branch. I think that's important. Um, would any decision from this point on made by the finance committee be, come under scrutiny because of what's happening with him? I don't think there's any question uh, there's a cloud over uh, the finance committee and any actions they take. Um, uh, you know, and we're in a campaign period, so there's a cloud over everything government does and all the people running, uh, every, all the incumbents and the people, the challengers. There's, a, there's politics that will drive it, but I don't think there's any question based upon what I've read in the paper that there will be a cloud or a question about anything that's going on out of the finance committee. Um, a number of city council stalwarts are not running again. People like Marge Lorino, I'm thinking of. Mike Zaleski's already left. Um, uh, the new council is likely to be younger, uh, more diverse, mm-hmm. and more independent. How is that going to affect, if you are elected, how does that affect your governing style? Look at you, the, the mayor. My style, historically, in the business community and even in the government, has been to try to bring people together. I, I try to avoid confrontation unless you have to on behalf of the people, obviously. But the end result of the council has to be to work together to get something done for people. I would hope that, and I would expect, that the people who come into the council, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, are not going to be looking at Congress or other legislative bodies that do nothing and gridlock over some issues or ideology, that that's the way to go in Chicago. I think we'll have some vigorous debates. That's good. Uh, the diversity reflects our city. Um, there's great enthusiasm by the number of people running, not only for mayor, but running for council seats about the future of the city. And that's a good thing. But in the end, those who get elected have to 
deliver for not only their residents of their wards, but for the residents of the city overall. Um, very quickly, because we only have about 30, 30 seconds, okay. but uh, um, you promise a property tax freeze, but wasn't avoidance of a tax hike one of the things that got the city in trouble in the first place? Okay, we, we have, when people get their tax bills this June, they're going to see a tremendous increase. And we have got to stop the flight out of the city. And one of the things for those who own property, the property tax increases of the last couple of years are really causing a burden on people. And we've got to take a stand and call the question here of, we have got to get our act together, folks. And I believe strongly that there must be a property tax freeze. If I have to raise taxes after my first year property taxes, there will be, uh, for every dollar of tax increase, there'll be a cut of a dollar in, in uh, the cost of expenses of the city. That is going to be the final word. Thank you, mayoral candidate Bill Daly, for spending this half hour with us. Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website, wbbmnewsradio.com. You can also find our podcasts on radio.com. Uh, I will be back next week with another edition of At Issue. I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.